It's another day in your life. I know this because I'm with you for every detailed nuance you choose to acknowledge or ignore. I'm not really anyone that's special or important. I'm a bit boring myself, and that being said, we'll focus on you for the duration of this podcast. If you ever wondered what happens after you die, why you can't let go of your first love, why you're always choosing people who hurt you or maybe fearful you'll miss the best part of your life among the details of routine, well, that's where I come in. See, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life because you're already living it. I'm here to narrate the details of what you're doing so when you wake up or when you fall asleep, you'll know the day you lived, well, it matters. Welcome to Narratives. Ten years later. When you arrive in the moving truck, you press the brakes lightly and feel the tin hull of the box behind you rumble as your lungs slide up against the cab. The low-toned thud comes to a stop and you look out in front of you. Along the Chicago streets, oak trees bow in the winds that blow in from Lake Michigan no more than two blocks away. The sidewalks are broken apart from years of use, bathed in the dancing shadows of the boughs above. Your wife and children wait for you in the car, four blocks down because the narrow city streets are packed with parked cars. You buy some time as you wait for Ekron, the building supervisor, to arrive with your keys. A bevy of homeless people walk past your moving truck, eyeing you with blatant stares as they surmise what could be inside the vehicle. A few transient wanderers slide past your driver's side door and peer into the cab. You exit the truck and feel the humid June heat on your face. The sun burns down on your fatigued shoulders and you feel the pain in your lower back from making the 1600 mile drive across the country. Life got in the way and in the midst of your apartment search landed you on Juneway Terrace in North Marshfield Avenue. You had to show up by June 15th for your new job, which meant you had to sign a lease as soon as possible a week before which meant you didn't have a chance to visit the new place in person. And so, against all odds, you and your family moved with a hope that your new home would be what you desperately needed, a safe place to heal from life. A few minutes later, you're standing outside the beige brick building with your wife, a tired three-year-old and a bored two-year-old who stare up at you with a gleam in their eyes only daughters have for their father. Ekron arrives, her short hair tucked into a shower cap. She waddles towards you with a cigarette dangling from her mouth. Her rose-patterned mumu and stained house slippers convey exactly what she's thinking. She's tired and doesn't care. She stops with a permanent scowl and takes a drag from her cigarette before asking if you're the new tenant. You smile before saying yes. She arcs her smeared eyebrows and hands you the keys. She begins to walk off when you ask if she can show you how to get past the gate and into the building. She sighs before turning around with an even deeper set scowl in her face. She manages to walk up the broken cement stoop of the side entrance of the building 
and points an annoyed finger at the brass-colored security door. You can barely understand her past the raspy Russian accent as she says lock, key, here, but more fragmented in pronunciation. Right, you reply. She opens the side door and shuffles into the lobby, a low ceiling room. It's unnaturally dark and heavy with a thick humid air. The uncanny scent of must from the mildew in the basement wafts through the floor vents. You glance at the basement door and already know where it is before you've seen it for the first time. It's in the hallway to the right. Ekron shouts male and points a fat finger with a chipped nail at the brass slots along the wall. She says no package Amazon, none, in no apparent order, and doesn't bother to look back at you as she continues to the stairwell. She turns and points and spouts, stair up, fourth floor, you, 4B. She tilts her upper body towards the stairs, her neck having been immobilized by some unknown injury or disease. You nod and politely try to mask your disappointment. Laundry, she shouts, and turns towards the hallway with a dull glowing bulb in the entryway. You nod. She gives you a strange, forced, painful smile before her face melts back in on itself and she waddles towards the side door. Your wife, solemn-faced, walks up to join you with the girls. Your two daughters are unusually silent as they take in the strange surroundings. You say, This is oddly familiar. Your wife sighs before nodding towards the slim windows that trace up the stairwell. She comments on the odd shape of the frames and wonders why every window from the second floor up is open to the June breeze outside. Four B is a rusted and chipped emblem on the door of your apartment. You notice the door is slightly ajar as you go to insert the key into its lock. You turn to look at your wife, who is distracting herself with the girls, trying to forget how awful everything is. Over her shoulder, you see a shadow move to the left on the opposite wall. You blink, and it's gone. She turns to look at you with a tired smile completely unaware of what you've just witnessed. You smile back and decide not to tell her what you've seen. Just past the opposite wall, you hear a familiar song you've never heard begin to play. The inside of the apartment isn't filthy or obscenely dilapidated. Instead, it's saturated with the scent of bleach, pine saw, comet, and mildew. There are no light fixtures inside the apartment itself, no air conditioning unit, and from where you stand, you can count the electrical outlets it contains. Three. To your left, one of the empty rooms hosts a window that looks directly into a brick wall. The other room next to it has a pair of cables hanging from the ceiling. The window looks into the same brick wall. For a moment, you see the shadow appear in your periphery as it peeks around the doorway and slowly disappears around the corner. The girls walk in with their mother and stay close to her as she surveys the apartment. You feel uneasy, and she does too. 
The strange sensation that washed over the both of you in the stairwell creeps up your lungs as you walk into the small kitchen. As your wife explores the small apartment with your daughters clutching her hands, their small faces appear to show a grim concern for their years. The back door to your left leads to the fire escape. You already know this because you've started to come to terms with the familiarity of the space. As you turn the back door's knob, the hinges creak and pop open. There before you, wrapped around the thick posts that serve as the fire escape, tangled vines grow upward from the center of an old courtyard. A momentary flash of memory strikes your consciousness. It's the back door and how your killer will get in. You'll be getting out of the shower. When you hear them, break in. They kick open the door and stab you in the stomach. The scent of weed, alcohol, sweat, and smoke are thick in the air, and you fight off the attacker and shove them back outside. This memory that hasn't happened yet creeps down your spine and makes you grow cold in the June sun. You step back inside the apartment and it feels like the walls are staring at you. Your wife and two daughters are standing patiently in the center of the room. Your wife does her best not to cry in front of the children and gives you a sad smirk. Behind her, the shadow figure peers around a different corner in another room. Let's get out of here. Let's go outside. You propose, and she nods with relief. She walks to the apartment door, and as you follow behind your daughters, the shadow's profile turns to watch you leave. You can't help but look over your shoulder to try and catch a glimpse of it before it vanishes. And rather than disappearing, it lingers, and you feel an uncanny message come from it. Don't come back. The stench of the stairwell feels as heavy as your heart when you watch your family walk down the stairs. Your daughter's tiny hands that slide along the same banister you'll grab as you bleed out seem to make the building even more sinister than usual. You come to a stop mid-step as the aroma of imitation lilacs from the shampoo on the third floor drifts out and into the afternoon air. You turn and look up and know Melinda is behind 3B. You haven't met her yet, but you know all the details of her life. Your wife asks if you're alright as she sees you getting lost in your thoughts, and you reply, Not entirely. You hang up the phone and sit in the U-Haul moving truck parked precariously in the middle of a Walgreens parking lot. A homeless encampment on the perimeter of the walkway makes you nervous for your family. You slide out of the truck and stare down at the multi-angle gathering of streets that form a strange intersection under the CTA bridge. You see the profile of the beige apartment buildings illuminated by the mid-afternoon sun, and it gives you an unsavory feeling as it appears to stare back at you. The June wind sticks your shirt to the beads of sweat down your back. You'll be dead in a month if you stay there. That's the thought that seems to be rolling around in your mind as your wife watches you from the car. 
You sigh and tap on the glass of the driver's side window. She rolls the car window down and you can tell she's been crying. That can't be our home, you say. She shrugs and reminds you that there is a lease involved. Not anymore, you reply. I used half her savings, but I bought it out. Her eyes go wide with joy rather than fear. The relief that follows along her lips as she smiles confirms the fact that you've just become her hero. I know it wasn't a wise move, but you shrug. Do you think your mom could care to host us for a while? Your wife laughs. She just got off the phone with her and asked the same question. Her mother is expecting your family in her home within the hour. Your new home within the hour. You smile at your wife and say, I didn't want to invite ourselves into her home, but I don't want to die in that place. Your wife agrees with a chuckle. She thinks you're joking. And you leave it at that. Murder on Junway Terrace was written and performed by Gabriel N. Elisondo. Music and effects provided by Epidemic Sound. For a complete list of featured songs in this episode and additional content, please visit www.gabrielnelisondo.com or click the link in the show notes. Narratives with Gabriel N. Elisondo is a Crown and Coil production. All written content and performances are exclusive properties of Crown and Coil Productions. If you liked what you heard, please leave a rating and review. It really does help. And thank you for being a part of our story.